invite you to turn with me this morning to Revelation, the first chapter. As we're coming to hear God's Word proclaimed, as we come, all of us, to sit under its teaching, to read it, to hear it, to obey it, it's good for us to remember that we need divine help. So let us pray now to our God and King. Almighty Father, we ask that you would help us now. The Lord, unstop our ears that we might hear what the Spirit says to the church, that we might read your word and hear it and keep it, for we know that the time is near. O oh God, show us the Lord Jesus Christ, how we might know him and love him and serve him even this day. We pray it all in his strong name. Amen. This morning we're beginning a sermon series for the summer on the book of Revelation. Just out of curiosity, say, who here has ever sat under a preaching series on Revelation? Oh, my hands got to go down. It's like two, maybe two people, maybe three from my count. Well, that's exactly what we're going to look at it this summer. Naturally, with only ten sermons reported to me, we can't cover the whole of the book. There's just not enough time, and I'm not a good enough preacher to do that in ten sermons. But I do intend on doing two things when, I, when we're together in public worship. One, I want to open God's Word in such a way that we are blessed in our reading, in our hearing, and our keeping the words of His prophecy. But two, I want to provide you with the tools so that you might labor in it further still, even outside of our time. The context of this book is John's faithful witness to the Word of God and to the testimony of Jesus. In short, it's Christ's revealing, or we might say the revelation of Christ. God maintains up front that those who open it will be blessed. That being said, I can't stress enough the importance of our reading through it together, even outside of worship. I can cover approximately half of it in sermons so we all need to be diligent outside of worship. I challenge you then, use this as a summer devotion. There are 78 days left until Barry returns and fall is back upon us. I know, we're counting. <laughs> Even at that modest pace of only one chapter a day, we could read through it three times. So I challenge you to that end, to read it. Use it as a devotional, and hopefully I'll send out some emails to help us through, uh, to enhance our series as I preach it, but also to enhance our daily reading. And of course, I always maintain, if you ever have questions, not just even for this book, but for any reason, please come and see me. My door is open. I want to have one more practical note or point on the context, particularly for parents, but I think it applies equally to all of us. You might be wondering, should I read this with my kids? Our relation is some pretty weighty things. Is it appropriate for children to that end, I would say it's appropriate only if you watch stories that end with happily ever after. We need to understand desperately that Revelation is not intended for experts. It's meant to be opened and read and heeded. It's meant primarily to bring encouragement to God's people, particularly the church that faces opposition, persecution, etc. So let us now open God's Word. I'll read Revelation, the first chapter, for us. 
revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the word of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood, and made us a kingdom, priests to His God and Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of Him. Even so, Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw on my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Once there was a story about four children named Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. This is a story of what happened to them when they were sent away from London during the war because of the air raids. The story of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe is an instant classic. It was so in Lewis's day, and it remains until our day. I wonder if we understand why that's the case. Certainly, he was a learned scholar with an able pen. And I'd argue it's more than just a classic for children's literature. 
After all, I still love the book. And I'm an adult, at least by some measures. No, it's, it's deeper than this. It's linked to those opening sentences. You see, the children and their grand adventure begins at a time and place when they, and I would argue when we, most need it. They're sent away from their home in reality because of Hitler's Third Reich and the terrible atrocities that befell London during those air raids. In actuality, the children were facing the horrible evil of bombs falling overhead. But in their fantasy world, the evil was transposed onto that evil white witch. The great battle for good and evil to these children was not fought between the Allied and Axis powers. It was rather the great lion, Aslan, and Jadis, the evil white witch. See, their fantasy mirrored, and it gave meaning and import to their world, to the real world in which they live. And I believe this is precisely what we find in the book of Revelation. Today we'll see from chapter 1 that Revelation is written to show what reality really is like. Revelation is written primarily to the church. And finally, we'll see that Revelation is written to reveal, namely, Jesus and His kingdom. It's written to show us what reality really is like. It's written to the church of Christ and it's written to reveal... Jesus Himself. John begins by immediately explaining that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave Him. It demonstrates already that Jesus is the focal point of the entire letter and that it comes with the authority of God Himself. And despite what many people think, God is giving, as we continue, this revelation to show to His servants the things that must soon take place. We need to see two very important points from this part of the verse. First, God is writing to His servants. There's no need of a special degree or a deeper spiritual insight. It's not written to an elite group of people or scholars. It's written to you and to me. It's to the servants of Jesus Christ. And two, Revelation is intended to show us something. That might seem obvious, but think about the current context of our church and its trepidation at this book. John is proclaiming from the forefront that it's not intended to shroud or veil or conceal or confuse. It's not a mystery that is kept. It's a mystery that is revealed. It's intended to show us something. It doesn't mean that we're going to understand every single detail, but it does give us hope that we can know what God is doing, what He is revealing. We see further emphasize that God is sending this message by way of the servant, John. And what does this servant see or know? Ultimately, all that he saw, we see this in verse 2, all that he saw is put in parallel with the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. This is therefore not something new or different. Revelation does not reveal, as it were, plan B of God's redemptive history. It brings to fulfillment. It brings to consummation all that God has been doing from the beginning, even before the foundation of the world. 
It's revealing God's plan from all of eternity. And it's intimately linked to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the Word of God in total. Finally, in this first section, we see that God commends this revelation to His servants because He knows that they will be blessed. Listen, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. My friends, this is precisely why we chose this book. Because we need to be blessed. Just notice it's the only book in Scripture that has a beatitude ascribed to it. If you read this book, God says you will be blessed. No other book claims that. Now, I believe that if we read God's Word, we will be blessed. Genesis to Revelation, but this book explicitly states it. We need to read it. We will be blessed if we read and hear and keep. Now, lately, I've become fascinated with wearables. That's the category of technology you put on your body and helps you do things. And you got the watch that measures your progress and whatever health activity, or you know, you got the, the gloves you can wear to help your golf swing. There's all kinds of things that you can wear as a piece of technology to help you. Often I wonder, is that just a way of reassuring us of our poor health? I don't think there's a watch on the market that's going to motivate me to get out of bed and go running. It's just going to tell me what I already know. You didn't run today. And what's worse, now they're linked. It's all social, you know. I can now see how much better everybody else is doing and feel worse about myself. What's the point? The watch does you no good. It's the exercise that does you good. Revelation on your shelf, brothers and sisters, does you no good. Open it and read it and be blessed. That's what I hope we all will do this summer as we labor through it together. But notice also, we have to keep what is written in it. It's not enough to read it, to know it, to hear it. We must keep it. The language there is that we take it to heart. We guard it. We count it as precious, the things that are revealed. Blessed are those who read, who hear, who keep. You might be wondering, who are those? It's important as we open this letter to remember why it's written, to bless God's servants, but also we need to consider to whom it is written. That colors how we approach the whole book. Well, I ask you, if we look at verse 4, John is writing to the seven churches that are in Asia. Is that only the people that this letter is intended for? Well, let's keep reading in order to gain a better understanding of the context. John further writes, Grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before His throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth. This is clearly a Trinitarian signature. God the Father, God the Eternal, the Everlasting, when we see that in the phrase, who is, who was, who is to come. We see clearly God the Son, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. But now wait a second. The seven spirits? Is John teaching new theology now? Is it God nine in one? I thought it was three in one. God the Father, something. No, he's not teaching anything 
but the Trinity. That's clearly borne out in later places in Revelation that we'll get to. Seven is an Old Testament number, an idea. It's a figure for fullness or completeness or perfection. God created the world in seven days. All very good. We see this reinforced in Isaiah 11 and Zechariah 4, to name a few. But this has import into how we view the churches. Go back up to the beginning of verse 4. John, to the seven churches. Is John writing only to seven individual churches about 2,000 years ago? A small, tiny handful of people? No. He's writing, as it were, to the fullness of the church. These churches were representative in that day and time for the church universal. And this is a common practice. The letter would have been circulated amongst those churches. And those churches would have circulated amongst their daughter churches and their mission works and church plants. John is writing to the church as a whole. In all of history, no matter what age we live in, it is for God's people. Is the message only for the church? I would argue, no, it's not. It's certainly applicable to the church. We continue on. To him who loves us, has freed us from our sins by his blood, made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. It's certainly applicable to the church, but what about those outside the church? Is Revelation important for unbelievers, for those who do not know Christ? I bet it is. What does he say? Behold, He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see Him. Even those who pierced Him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of Him, will mourn on account of Him. Even so, Amen. See, the church, Revelation is written to the church, but it's written for everyone. God is displaying Himself. He's revealing the fullness of His glory, namely in the Lord Jesus Christ through this letter that John is writing to these churches, but to the wider church in general. We know this not only from seeing to whom God is writing, but, but we see this as we look at the, the main author. John is not simply a human author. He's writing under the authority and inspiration of the Spirit. That's why we see in verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and was and is to come, the Almighty. What's God doing? God's laying down, as it were, a gauntlet of truth. Everyone must respond to that statement. Do you believe that God is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last the one who is and was and is to come in control of all of history, the Almighty. Do you believe that? Or do you not? I would argue, we see this in our culture all around us, don't we? It's no longer just a movie that's a grand tale or story as a narrative. Now it's a battle. It's always a battle. It's Batman versus Superman. Who's going to win? Who's right? Or it's Captain America versus Iron Man. Who's going to win? Who's right? John's doing the same thing. What do you believe about reality? What God is revealing? 
or what our culture says. I read an article this past week about a person, and I have to be very careful here, about a person in Oregon who is legally declared the first non-binary citizen in the U.S. What do I mean by that? What's that language talking about? It is neither male nor female. The person prefers to be referred to as a they. Beloved, here's my point. I'm not bashing this particular individual. God created man, male and female. He revealed as much in the Word, in the Scriptures. We can't simply say what we want to say and do what we want to say and do what we want to be. The same is true here. Why is John writing? Because he's bearing witness to the Word of God, to the testimony of Jesus Christ. We'll see in a moment. That's why he's in exile. He's bearing witness to the truth and revelation is being revealed ultimately to divide. We see that revelation is to give encouragement, to give hope, to give a blessing to the servants of God. It's written to the church, but it's written for everyone. Well, now, what is God revealing? We have, uh, after John's commissioning, as it were, in verses 9 through 11, we see this something that is going to be revealed. But we should note a very important point in John's commission. Notice why he says it's important that he's writing. He says, I'm your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. For this reason, I'm on the island of Patmos because of the word of God, the testimony of Jesus. He's saying to all of us, when we uphold the truth, there will be suffering. There will be persecution. Beloved, we are living in a day and time where that is no longer an exception to the rule. If we are abiding in Christ, if we are following the testimony of Jesus, if we are giving an account to the Word of God as truth, we will be outcast. We will be diminished by our culture and our society. But that's not what John sees. Suddenly, he hears a voice like a loud trumpet, a voice like the sound of many waters. So he turns, and what does he see? Seven golden lampstands. One like a son of man in a robe with a golden sash. Hair white like snow. Eyes of flaming fire. Feet glowing red like burnished bronze. Seven stars in his hand. A sharp sword in his mouth and face shining like the sun in all of its splendor. William Hendrickson puts it this way in his wonderful little commentary, More Than Conquerors. He says that this picture of the Son of Man, the, the entire picture is symbolic of Christ, the Holy One, who is coming to purge his churches and to punish those who are persecuting his people. And he's exactly right. That sounds kind of ominous and foreboding, doesn't it? Well, if it doesn't, I submit to you a very important point. 
Look at John's next words. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Do we have that kind of trembling and fear before such an awesome and mighty picture of the Lord of glory? John is not fooled by what he sees. This is reality. And Jesus, in all of his awesome splendor, stands like a judge and a king and a warrior. All of these images wrapped into one. But he hears the voice of Jesus saying, Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, but behold, I am alive forevermore. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Is that the way you see reality? Do you see Jesus standing in all of his might, in all of his splendor, all of his power and dominion and glory forever? Are you content to live on the Netflix shows that abound? Are you content to deal with the nightly news as fact? Do we not long for that magical mystery of Narnia? Do we not long for something greater, something more, the land beyond the sea? A great champion ready to rule and defend us, to restrain and conquer all his and all our enemies? Brothers and sisters, let me ask you one final question. Are you happy? with the world that you see around you? Are you content with the nightly news? I'm not. What a sad and broken world it is. Children dying, people massacred. That's only what we hear. What are the atrocities around the world that we do not see? The evil forces all around us. This is not enough for me. I want the Christ of Scriptures. I want this conquering King. I want this reality and not our own. I just love the way that John ends the first chapter. Jesus explains the vision to him. Where is Jesus standing? He's standing in the midst of His church. He's holding their seven stars in His hand, protecting, controlling, guiding. Beloved, that is reality. Jesus here, in the midst of His church now, powerful, mighty to save, ready to rule. But He's not in the midst of all churches. That's what we'll see next, next week. Would you pray with me?